So why then are we saying that with relationship orientation or orientations of people within a relationship has to also stay the same? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me. Yeah. And yet people, you know, still have no problem with accepting that Gandalf the Grey became Gandalf the White. You know, things change people sometimes for the better, <laughs> which is definitely true in the case of Gandalf. Anyway. <laughs> Perfect intro. I didn't. It wasn't. I was just getting the outline up. I wasn't ready to say hello. Doesn't matter. Okay. Well, we're here now. It's just us for this episode today. Moving swiftly on. We yes. You know, I've just got to push on. Yeah. Basically, yeah. we are talking about mixed orientation relationships, which I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, it was. We've been requested this a couple of times. You know, a lot of a few people have sort of re- written in and said they'd love to hear a little bit more about this. So we are going to do our best to tackle the topic yeah. today. Thank you to those people for making the suggestion. Yeah, we love it. Um, before we we delve into first, into that, um, I have you have like millions of things to well, say for this intro, not- and I I have nothing. So I'm just going to let you take it away. Okay. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to talk about. Uh, Mr. Bill de Blasio, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He, for anyone who doesn't know, was the New York mayor for some time, quite recently, I think, 2021, I think is when he um, left office. But uh, an interesting thing has happened in his life. He is currently cohabiting with his wife, with whom he has separated, but they're both uh, dating other people. And they aren't planning on. I don't. They're not filing for divorce, and they're not planning on moving out. So, like they, they sort of. There's like a, a. Kind. I mean, it. It's kind of a non-monogamy sort of vibe. Obviously, they're separated, but the fact that they feel that they can still live together and have relationships with with other people, is certainly a unique, vibe. Oh, absolutely. And it is something that we'll talk a little bit about later very briefly, but this is something that people talk about when it comes to like mixed orientation relationships. They do say that sometimes people are married and one person comes out as queer or has only same-sex attraction and they're in an opposite-sex marriage and they decide to stay together and don't seek a divorce. And like we don't know the details of, of this. Maybe they've just decided that their relationship is transitioning and they still want to be in each other's lives, but they're not going to get divorced. Yeah. And maybe they maybe they're definitely like they've separated, they're still living together. You know, it's it's just I really like this story because it just shows us the nuance of relationships where you don't have to end a relationship and then never be in each other's lives ever again. Yeah. And that is something that non-monogamy has taught me, um, having like a little bit more of that grey area that I didn't always see 
and now being exposed to and having the privilege of talking to people about their relationship styles has taught me that there's so much gray area and that maybe the mold that we've been taught about, you know, the messy divorce doesn't Mm. always have to be the case. The reason why I find it to be a rather refreshing story is that it's an example of emotional maturity in a politician that we're really not used to (laughs) seeing. Um, I mean, I don't know that much about Bill de Blasio. I I think he was relatively popular. I don't know. Don't make that assumption if you haven't looked it up. I won't make that assumption. Don't come at me in the comment section because I don't know. He might have been a typical politician, to put it nicely. But at the end of the day, in this particular scenario... Uh, in his personal life, it seems that, that, that he's displaying emotional maturity that I wish we saw in all of our politicians. Alas. That's interesting. It's a really interesting story. And it's I, I like that it's been publicly spoken about, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. And, you know, they, it was their decision to speak publicly about it as well. It's not like it's, uh, it's... I mean, the tabloids have very much jumped on it, particularly the New York Post, which is... I guess, like the sun for New, the New well, York, for New York. Another one of our our fr- our friendly family, the Murdochs, that we spoke about last episode uh, yes. in our intro, just Dude. come fighting through, even if we don't want them to be there. I think they've referred to him as a horn dog. Who? Bill De Blasio. In one I of thought the... you were talking about Rupert Murdoch. I was like, I mean, he definitely I mean, is a horn dog yes. as well in all the wrong ways. But um, I was going to say, I feel like horn dog. Is that a compliment? No. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's immature beyond belief to call someone. Well, I just, I'm thinking of that Australian, the Australian series, Kath and Kim, for those who are Australian and who listen oh, yeah. or who have Australian partners and were forced to watch it like Richard. Oh, yeah, because that was, they, she used she it in a bit kept, of a positive She line. was, Kath and Kim always say, especially Kim, she goes, I'm a hornbag mum. Oh, a hornbag, yeah. And it's like very much, I have my sexual needs, like. I'm horny, like bite me. Yeah. So that's, she's very much saying it from an empowered place. Like I'm a hornbag. What can I say? <laughs> like, I can't help it. Like, this is just who I am. And I, it's very much positive in that show. So I don't know. Yeah. Let yeah. us know if you think that hornbag, oh no, sorry. Horn dog is horn dog a compliment. And was Bill de Blasio popular? <laughs> <laughs> also the two big questions let us know, American facing Americans listeners. this week. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking also... Speaking of Americans. Well, speaking of New York again, uh, the New York Times has um, has sort of um, done a bit of a, uh, I guess, a profile or a, a kind of investigation, if you will, into... Uh, some cities where laws protecting parley rights are being introduced. So this is a popular, oh. uh, not popular, this is a, um, a positive story. Um, Which we don't often get in the world of non-monogamy. No. In, in terms of general news coverage, I, I mean. I mean, I will say that, you know, some of the wording in, in a lot of news these days is even, you know, even in the, the liberal uh, beacon of journalism that is the your times <laughs> sometimes anyway uh it can still be very um questionably worded yeah. but somerville somerville massachusetts shout out so you're gonna you're listing the cities now no 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 it's not a list oh. there, there are just three places in massachusetts um you bear with me okay a pulse yep um sounds- pipe down um <laughs> 
<laughs> wait, wait your turn. You've got nothing to add to this. Somerville, Massachusetts uh, has banned discrimination on the basis of family or relationship structure. As her, well, Arlington and Cambridge, Massachusetts has also added elements uh, that do similar things um, to existing legislation as well, which um, is really cool. Um, but this is, you know, I mean, put it this way. I have heard of many sort of instances now where people have moved from, polyamorous people have moved from other places in the United States to Massachusetts or more specifically Somerville. Interesting. Because it's, it apparently it's becoming a bit of a, I mean, we, I think we spoke briefly about the capital of polyamory in the UK. Oh, the hot, hot capital that is. Yeah. Margate, um, allegedly. Yeah, in our last episode. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, well, welcome to Somerville, the, the polyamorous capital, if not capital, at least sort of uh, legislative um, haven yeah. for polyamorous people. That is Somerville, Massachusetts. Interesting. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. And I mean, I think as well, when you say about the basis of family or relationship structure. So I think structure, relationship structure, you know, it, if they're talking about different relationship structures, that's absolutely non-monogamy as the umbrella term. But I think it's really interesting when you look at family structures, there are so many different family structures that could benefit from this. And mm. I'm not I'm familiar of the details of the legislation. Like I haven't sat down and read it. I'm going to come no, out here no and say it. Has. Not even, not, the not even the lawyers who drafted it. <laughs> who wants to read that shit? But anyway. <laughs> I mean, like there are so many, like we, for example, are in a quote blended family or an alternative relationship structure in that we, I'm a step parent. You've got a kid that isn't mine. Like that's an alternative relationship style or, or uh, blended family. It's not the nuclear family. It's something different. <laughs> and I just feel like having like, banning discrimination on the basis of family structure could benefit so many people. And the obvious one for us being a podcast about non-monogamy is polyamorous families with children. But I feel like this, that could spread further. And I just think that that's really nice that, you know, non-monogamous communities can be included in, in stuff like this. And then obviously relationship structure. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so many things that could span that as well. So well, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, both both of those things as well are wide reaching enough that they would be, you know, if you felt discriminated against uh, for, for, you know, for the reason of being polyamorous or non-monogamous, you, you could certainly rely on that, on those elements within the legislation to fight your case. Mm. It's, it's, it's in, in a way... I mean, law is usually very, very specific, but here I feel it's intentionally vague so as to help people uh, who otherwise didn't, didn't have didn't have the legislation to support them before, you know? Totally. Which I, really I feel cool. is maybe a little bit obvious, but um, you know what I'm trying to say. Just to kind of round off this point, this is just the start, you know? This is the, like the scope is still very narrow, there are still there still lacks protections within the working environment, um, and this is obviously we're talking about America here. But like if we talk about the uh, the U.S. as a whole, 
because uh, obviously law can be much more localized in in America, mm. in the United States that is. Um, the UK doesn't really have any legislation whatsoever, and nor does Australia. Um, sorry if I'm not mentioning your country, but there's a lot of people <laughs> um, listening all around the world. I'm sure I'm sure it's the same in all of the countries that uh, that we get listeners. Um, From what I'm aware, there yeah. isn't anything there in terms of specifically mentioning polyamory or non-monogamy as a protected characteristic. This is, I think, as you say, I'm glad you said this though, There, it, this is just the beginning, but there certainly are rumbles of this sort of happening more. All of the... It's a rumble. Those, Sound effects. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I just think this is a growing momentum and the more that it happens, the more that we're going to be met with discrimination and um, othering and all of that sort of stuff that comes with agitating for change. But it's really positive to see that there is some movement, especially in legislation. So. Yeah. Some news. Yeesh. Well, today's topic, everybody. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Mixed orientation relationships. We don't need, no, we don't, we don't need a jingle for it. We'll just go into it. I'm just... Singing the title of the episode, because I'm allowed. Okay. So what do we mean? What do we mean by mixed orientation relationships? Well, I've got a definition so I can read it. Sick. A mixed orientation relationship is a relationship between partners of differing sexual orientations. And the acronym most commonly used to describe this is M-O-R-E, which spells more. More. Which... I'm into. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. Um, so basically, that is a definition that I found, I think, on Wikipedia, somewhere on the internet. But It was somewhere really... I think it was Wikipedia, to be honest. No, but no, no. It was definitely somewhere really reputable and uh, somewhere we can trust. Well, the rest of the research <laughs> that we have in this episode is actually really reputable, but okay. um, I feel like this is just kind of gives it an overarching definition. So we know what we're talking about, but today we're mainly going to be talking about monopoly or monogamous slash polyamorous dynamics because this is a podcast about non-monogamy. So we're going to like talk mm. about that. Yeah, mm. yeah it is. Welcome. That's cool. Um, but the w- wider mixed orientation relationships can include people with differing orientations. Like, for example, one person might be asexual and the other people in the relationship, multiple or just single, are not. Or maybe a couple that might be married and then one comes out as, uh, sorry, as I should have said, a couple that is opposite sex and then one comes out as having only same sex attraction. And, but then they decide to stay married. Um, that is something that is talked about in the research a fair bit. Or one might come out as another type of queer and so then the mixed orientation comes once the relationship is already established, which kind of happened with us. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that there are many ways this can manifest. And you sort of, you know, it's it's just interesting that, you know, you can have established relationships with people. Kind of what we talked about in the intro there with our friend Bill, Bill de Blasio, de Blasio yeah. where... You know, you might know this about someone being mixed orientation from the get-go and then you start to form a relationship and that's an automatic dynamic or it happens a lot. People grow and change. Like with us, we're a mixed orientation relationship because you're polyamorous by orientation and I am not. There we go. So I, I'm not, I don't, I don't really identify specifically as one or the other. 
But what I just will say that when we're talking about mono and poly, I would not describe us as a monopoly. And the reason for that is because I'm not monogamous by orientation. Mm-hmm. And so when we say monopoly, traditionally what that will mean is that one person is polyamorous by orientation and one person is monogamous by orientation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so only one person dates. <clears throat> that is different to what we do, which is a polyamorous couple where we both are interested in dating other people. We're both keen to explore connections with other people. You uh, it's your orientation for me. I don't really identify in that way. I feel like I'm a bit more fluid, but because I'm not monogamous by orientation, it doesn't mean that we're like we're monopoly by the traditional sense. In a way, it's kind of like po- we're poly chilly because I'm actually poly by orientation, and you're just chill, you're chill with it. You're kind of like neither here nor there. You're like. You you like you you're interested in dating other people, yep. but it's not necessarily a a, a must have type thing. Absolutely, excuse the terrible. Um, but I also name don't that I've like given it, feel but. like <laughs> the need to define what my orientation is because it's very fluid for me, yep. and so I don't. I'm not going to sit down and, and agonize over what what I am. I'm very sort of. I feel experienced in very fluid ways. And as we talked about in the planning for this episode, this year I've been on like two dates. I just haven't really felt like I've had the capacity or the deep interest Mm -hmm. in like exploring other connections. I feel like my life is full with my friendship connections, my family connections, my romantic connection with you. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to date. And I've kind of played with the idea and, and been on the apps and things, but... I'm not, it's, I feel like sometimes I feel like I couldn't go quote back to being monogamous <laughs> because I'm not dating. But again, it is different because I, I have the desire and the interest do you think as and well, the though, ability to date. And do you think as well that the, it's more just like your desire level that changes? It's not like, because you'd never come to me and say, oh, I don't want, you know, to be, I want us to be monogamous full stop because, I mean, that would kind of defeat that would kind of uh, almost um, infringe on my my autonomy in a way and, and mm. who I am. So you, yeah. I know that you would never do that. But just I feel like the fact that you don't feel this, the any need to actually proactively close our relationship, quote unquote, um, means that it's kind of like almost at like your interest level that, that fluctuates. It's almost, it's kind of like a libido. You can, you can kind of have a libido for for dating other people and sometimes yeah. your interest just peaks and sometimes it it's it troughs you know Absolutely. but also uh, i love the way you describe the fact that you don't need you don't feel like you have this need to to really define yourself when it comes to your relationship orientation because that's kind of there's a parallel there with how i feel about my gender orientation mm. i'm kind of like i don't really feel like anything or or like, but not in an agenda way, just in a sort of like, I'm me, but I know that I'm me isn't any specific gender thing. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it just, there's kind of like, it just, that kind of just triggered my sort of, you know, in a positive way, my like understanding of, of myself and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think I learned and I, I kind of understood I suppose I didn't feel the pressure to define myself because I've learned so much from how 
you move through the world. And I was like, I don't, I don't have to define this either. So I, am a I feel like I probably yeah. learned that from you, which is quite <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. But Dr. Elizabeth Sheff um, wrote an article about this in Psychology Today. She is a renowned researcher on polyamorous families. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant. If you're listening, Elizabeth, want to come on the show? Please, um, please. So she says what I was trying to say really eloquently. She says, so we describe about monopoly relationships and how um, – one is monogamous who is sexually exclusive with one partner and one is polyamorous who has or is seeking multiple partners with the knowledge and consent of all concerned. This is not the same as a polyamorous couple in which both people are open to or already had polyamorous relationships but currently appear to be monogamous because they are only dating or married to one person at the moment. Much like a lesbian is still a lesbian, if she is not currently dating anyone, these folks are still poly even if they are not currently seeing others. So that's why... Just out of curiosity, just so like we're not monopoly, mm-hmm. but sometimes the dynamic can feel a bit like that. But I just love mm-hmm. how it's just like you're still polyamorous, even if you're not dating people or sleeping with people. Yeah, I pers- and I, that's a, I just think that's a really important point to make. Yeah, and I think that, well, it's particularly something that I think bisexual people can relate to because the amount of sort of bi erasure there is. You know, oh, but you're in a mixed, uh, you're in a mixed gender or mixed sex relationship. Um, how how can you be bisexual? You're with a woman, so therefore you. And I'm like, well, like bef- without even like discussing the complexity of ge- gender and how that can kind of play out in in that discussion. Like, yeah, but I'm still attracted to people of other genders. You know, or uh, like it just doesn't. It's very. It's a very shallow argument. It's a very, yeah. It's a very shallow argument to, to to be made. It's a classic of how do you not? I was like, oh well, you're you're, you but you've never slept with a woman. You've never kissed a woman. How do you know you're bisexual? Uh, I don't have to be with a woman ever to prove my bisexuality. Mm-hmm. Like it's the exact same thing. So I mean, it's a good point. Back in the the dark ages, <laughs> like. You know, gay people probably never experienced, like a lot of gay people probably never even realized they were gay throughout their entire lives because they would have been shamed into, and by the dark ages, I mean the 1950s. Anyway, uh, this this does uh, feed quite nicely into something that I'm keen to talk about, which is the idea of flexible orientation relationships. So this is, once again, mixed orientation uh, relationships, but where the orientation shifts and changes and flexes, if you will, um, (laughs) uh, on a sort of semi-regular basis or even maybe a very regular basis. Um, So like you could be monogamous for for a period of time and then decide to... I mean, here's a good example. Everyone's heard of hall passes, you can expand that to being like, well, we're going to take a year here or a few months here to go and explore with other people. And that can be probably most likely sexual, but but in some cases that will be emotional too. Um, so yeah, like I feel like this whole, if, if you're a lesbian, you're always a lesbian sort of thing, um, here is kind of backed up but also challenged by this idea of flexible orientation like if someone for example who has been monogamous for most of the relationship 
decides we're going to give non-monogamy a go for a few months. But then it has a sort of end date agreed within it. After that end date, are they still technically non-monogamous people? Well, I mean, I think the example I read out from Elizabeth Shep is talking about sort of people's sexual orientation, like being a lesbian is not a choice. Like being like polyamorous in your case is not a choice. People who, I think it's very different people who decide that they want to do this by choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they don't, if they don't identify with it um, and they see it as more of a lifestyle choice. And I think it is quite different, but I, I think the point that you're making that I really like is that you can be in a relationship and, it can change and that you can be in a same orientation relationship and then it switches and becomes a mixed orientation relationship or it can be from the get-go. I mean, we're an example of that. We were monogamous and for the first 15 months, as everyone knows, and then you realise that you were non-monogamous, you were polyamorous and that relationship, that, that orientation, sorry, came up and we adjusted to make that work because we both wanted to and there's no reason that I mean this would happen all the time with people who might realize in a relationship that they're bisexual and mm. they want to experience that and they're always bisexual even if they never they never experience that or if they decide to open their relationship and they do so I think it's super complex but um yes and that is and therein lies the reason why I worded that whole thing uh the way I did because I wanted to highlight the fact that for some people, this is very much a choice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sexuality is not. Mm-hmm. But for some people, this is very much a choice. And for others, like myself, it is very much not a choice. Mm-hmm. So uh, the I guess my overarching thing here is why is orientation fixed by default? Like, don't you find that in relationships? Sorry, mm. why is relationship orientation fixed by default is, mm. is to be more clear. Mm. Like, so much about relationships changes and grows but this doesn't seem to apply to the orientation and dynamics. Like, why Why is that? Like, I feel like that's something that should be challenged. I don't think it should be normalized. That, like, we, we're all happy to grow with one another. Mm. But the structure of the relationship doesn't seem to change with that a lot of the time. Whether it's monogamous or otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I think I I really love that you said that. Because when you're in a relationship everyone's like, oh, I hope we just grow together. We grow old together. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to grow and change with your partner. And that's, I think, widely accepted as something that's a healthy and strong relationship is that you've been able to adapt to change, grow together, learn together, learn from each other, inspire each other and, and move forward together. And Sometimes when actually one of my cousins said something really lovely to me when I was, went through a breakup about 10 years ago um, with one of, with my uni boyfriend. And she said, Siobhan, maybe you've just learned everything from him that you can. Mm. And sometimes that's why relationships break down. And it's interesting that you brought this up because I very much viewed our transition to non-monogamy as an evolution and as a a new version of our relationship. And I did have questions from people. And of course, I always say this very well-meaning people that would say to me, but that's not what you agreed when you got together. Mm. This non-monogamy thing, you agreed to be non-monogamous, sorry, you agreed to be monogamous when you met Richard and started dating. Now the goalposts have shifted 
and you have you now quote have to do this thing because he wants to that's not what you agreed to and I always thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it because for me I was like well what so everything that we agreed if you apply that to any other part of a relationship everything we agree when we first met has to last for the rest of our lives potentially if we're thinking about traditional marriages and that sort of thing like that doesn't that would not track for anything else Mm -hmm. so why then are we saying that with relationship orientation or orientations of people within a relationship has to also stay the same Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me yeah and yet people you know still have no problem with accepting that gandalf the gray became gandalf the white you know things change people sometimes for the better (laughs) which is definitely true in the case of gandalf anyway (laughs) um became more powerful you know, and yeah. I feel like we, you and I became more powerful in our transition from grey to white. I mean, from uh, monogamous to <laughs> non-monogamous. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. I think it's, yeah, it's just like when change in relationships is considered inevitable. But if you ask about orientation, mm. particularly in in all sorts of like if there's any sort of queer identity involved or non-monogamous identity involved where there's already heavy stigmas and discrimination, there's going to be, and phobia, there's going to be like a bit more difficulty accepting that that could also just be part of a natural change. And like somewhere along the way, we've learned that that kind of change is something that is, Mm -hmm. you know, to be avoided. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm on the other side of one of those changes, I'm not quite sure why. Mm. You know? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's weird, isn't it? How you can go from from uh, thinking something is totally batshit crazy to mm. being like, how did I ever think this was batshit crazy? But um, I mean, we we just to kind of I want to shift the lens towards the individual for a moment sure. and talk about sort of individual orientations as, as 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 important as obviously uh relationship orientations the, the the dynamic within a relationship is important equally as important is is the orientation of the individual so and and, and we're sticking with the flexibility side of things excuse Bridget me I've just, just <laughs> i've just headbutted my microphone <laughs> leave that in that's people will like that <laughs> Best sound that I've made oh, gosh. this whole episode. Uh, polyflexible and monoflexible. Now, creepy uh, little terms we came up with. We, no, we found in I was our. I say we didn't. We can't. You came up with a those. different. I came term, up with. Uh, and then I googled uh, it. And obviously, it existed still. Fle- no, no, flexi poly. Yeah. So, the opposite of that. Yeah, so but like it's, that, that it's time, a different thing. I won't go into it. It's I thought far I, like, too advanced invented, for our listeners. <laughs> when I thought for about a month there that I invented the term revenge dating. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah someone you else love was... to mention that. Why do you love to? I mean, because it is it would be pretty. I mean, the fact that you did actually come up with it without even knowing it was a thing. There's like so in a, a way, lot of in a way, about it, if but... you know, no one, if no one else had come up with it, you would have been its inventor, which is true of literally everything. <laughs> oh, the car! Oh, what a fucking brilliant idea that is! <laughs> oh shit, they're fucking everywhere already. Anyway, yes, uh, you're you're a bit of a you know poly flexible and mono flexible. Uh, well, so I've got def- a little little definition. Yeah, definition so poly flexible. 
Trolley flexible is a term for individuals who mainly seek out a polyamorous relationship but are willing to experiment with a monogamous relationship due to interest or questioning. So I I mean, I don't even know whether this is really me either because I did not set out to have a polyamorous relationship at all ever. Um, I suppose with you I am now, but, you know, I says due to interest, like, yeah, sometimes I do just – like, quote, return to monogamy because, you know, I just don't really feel like I'm interested. Like, well, it's like I said, it's kind of like your, your non-monogamous libido, your yeah. dating libido. Well, how, high, how high are you on the... On the li- how horny am I for dates? Yeah, basically. It's, I think also, and particularly recently, I I feel like I'm at capacity when it comes to, like... I have to ask myself this question of, am, can I be a good partner to a new person? Can I give them the energy that it requires to be present with them and have the time and just be a generally good sort of partner? And at the moment, I feel like I'm at capacity. I've got a lot of brilliant friends that bring a lot of love to my life. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of family love in my life as well, um, you know, brilliant colleagues, and so for me, like, I I feel like that's where I want to put my energy. So it is an active choice for me to step back from dating. Doesn't mean that I'm not open to it. Doesn't mean that I'm not on the apps having a checking out, you know. Yeah. People in London, of course I am. But, yeah, it's it's definitely for me it's flexible. And I think for me why this really works is because it is so flexible. And I think you and I, I mean, when I've experienced this on dates, I don't know about you, I've experienced the inverse of polyflexible, which is monoflexible, as you oh, mentioned. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is very much maybe we go on dates with people who are single, who I think from speaking to them, and I've actually been on two, one dates with two different men who I think fit into this category, where I think they were ultimately looking for monogamous connections but were toying with the idea of non-monogamy. So tried it out, like met a girl in an open relationship and – knew that like they weren't going to live with me because I'd already established that pattern with you and I was happy mm-hmm. with that and I wasn't going to go into a nesting dynamic with them and they were sort of seeing if maybe they could do it and I feel like that's them ultimately looking for monogamous relationships but experimenting with polyamory because interest or questioning mm-hmm. and I think some people that I've met have said that they think that non-monogamy is the way forward but I think then there's definitely a gap to bridge between that belief of maybe this is the right thing for me and actually putting it into practice. Yeah, and a lot of people just procrastinate when it comes. I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily um, shaming them for procrastinating because we oh, all no. do it. But um, if you know, if their heart isn't quite ready, then they can kind of kick the can down the road. The can being the hard work that you need to put in to do it because it does take a lot it does take a lot emotionally and if you're kind of busy with other things then it might not be a priority or whatever but can i just say when it comes to dating single people who Mm. like sometimes it's not experienced that well yeah but like also i'm i'm uh one of my sort of relationships outside of us is a relationship with someone who is who was single uh, but uh, had had never even really. I mean, they they were aware of the 
concept <laughs> they were aware of uh, all of, they, they knew people that had done it and and it worked for them mm -hmm. so they'd had exposure to it but but they'd never really considered it themselves and it it's taken some some thought but it was never like a really really big deal or it never seemed yep. like a really big deal from you know my perspective mm -hmm. so that's kind of interesting that's kind of a in a way that is a, a monopoly in a you know quite a flexible situation yeah that i've got going there yeah so yeah absolutely and this is someone i've been seeing for a while now so yeah, yeah. i think it's interesting it's just that uh, yeah about you know the, the way that it can be flexible and this partner of yours might pick up and start dating someone else as well and then that is you know polyamorous if they're not then yeah. you know and it is very flexible and um, again i think it's always really important as well to consider in these situations what people's orientations are as well yeah. So have those conversations, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to be careful with people's when people's emotions are involved, and that's true of any sort of relationship. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, this is what Dr. Elizabeth Sheff says about oh, that. She's got more to say. In, in our um in the Psychology Today article, um, so she talks. She's it's a really good article, and she kind of goes through some scenarios about why when it works and when it doesn't, and we want to rely on an expert for this part because, as we've said in many episodes before. We're not clinicians. We're not psychologists. We can only really talk anecdotally and confidently about our own experiences. But this is what she says about what can work and what can't. So I can I can read the first one if you like and then you can read Do it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> she says, what works? Trust is key for the smooth function of any poly relationship and building true consent from a base of shared trust and negotiation is quite important for a successful monopoly relationship. I would also argue for any relationship, but we're being specific about this. Generally, this builds with discussion, negotiation, honesty, trustworthy behavior over a period of time. Once again, it's this is always true of any relationship. And I think that this is one of the great things that that polyamory brings to the world of relationships is an emphasis on it. It kind of just really mm. drives home. It's almost like if your relationship and th and this isn't me actually sort of saying that uh, everyone's doing relationships wrong. I think we probably all are doing relationships wrong, no matter who we are. We're probably all doing them wrong to an extent, but <laughs> <laughs> but we're also all doing them right provided they're consensual and respectful. But it it feels a little bit like if your relationship is a healthy one, monogamous, non-monogamous, whatever otherwise, you should be in a place where if you either of you wanted to do non-monogamy at any point, then it should be okay. It shouldn't be a deal breaker. It shouldn't be like a, you know what I mean? There should be that level of trust and respect there and communication should be, you know, so sort of um well developed and meta communication with that too so the mm -hmm. communication about communication mm -hmm. that that if either party was kind of like i want to go and explore with other people then it shouldn't be like a huge like argument <laughs> do you know what i mean i feel like that's kind of what it what the implication is when we're when we're saying that polyamory is very much just be good at communication guys look out for one another be respectful 
don't infringe on people's autonomy, etc. So do you know what I mean? So you're saying it's very much part of polyamory is very much being able to have discussions about things and commit to growing as an individual as well as if you're in a relationship of any type. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I feel like the a truly fulfilled and respecting respectful relationship should be one where non-monogamy is never off the table in a way. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? There should be room for each other to like to sort of explore if that's what people want if that's what people want and i think that when you say explore that could be we're talking about it in a romantic or and or sexual yeah situation here but mm -hmm. i think explore could be many things for many people yeah. so obviously we're non-monogamous that's part of our relationship but people who are monogamous and happy being monogamous might want to explore other parts of themselves and their relationships that might be off the table, mm -hmm. you know, for, for whatever reason. Yeah. And I don't need to speculate. It could be a multitude of reasons and being able to come to their partner and say, I really want to try this thing mm -hmm. or like, and again, I think what you're getting at is being able to have conversations, feel safe to bring things to your partner or partners. Yes, exactly. And being able to say, I want to try this thing. What do you think? And being, and being met, with an open-minded individual, someone who's willing to work with you and talk about things, even if it's difficult. And I think that's ideally what we'd like yeah. to do. I mean, I wasn't perfect, was I? I mean, I had we had really difficult discussions when we opened our relationship, but I and I didn't I wasn't perfect at being open-minded, but I did try really hard. Yep. And I mean, we all have faults and problems where we're not open-minded even now. Yeah. You know, so like to yeah, just to just to be hundred percent clear, when I say like, when I say that any healthy relationship should be one where non-monogamy should never be off the table. What I mean is non-monogamy is an example. Totally. Like there should also be like this as long as it is isn't kind of forcing someone to, uh, or not necessarily forcing, but kind of um, maybe pushing someone to break their own boundaries. As long as it's something something about ex like exploring or expanding the boundaries of the, the person coming to their partner, then that that should always be available. Like they should always be available to their partner to have that discussion. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Richard. Like it doesn't have to be non-monogamy. <laughs> that's just kind of we're we're a non-monogamy podcast. Welcome. Um. So that's kind of Richard. You know Richard. what I'm. We're gonna we're gonna get into it. Just, just you wait about about it being on and off the table. We'll get to it with Elizabeth Chef. Oh, Elizabeth Chef, but got more not right now. So just <laughs> to go through again, um, some of the things at work. She says, in addition to the basis of mutual trust, a number of other conditions tend to foster monopoly relationships. Matched emotionally, but mismatched sexually, is quite common apparently. So. People who deeply love each other and click on emotional, intellectual, creative, spiritual and political levels that make wonderful partners in many ways, but do not click sexually. When a high desire partner is paired with a low desire lover, it can be a tremendous relief for both of them when the high desire person has success with other lovers. Similarly, there could be a kinky person and a quote vanilla person. They fall in love 
and a monopoly relationship would allow the kinky person to have sex that involves pain or power exchange or whatever they're into with others who also enjoy those practices. Um, And this arrangement also relieves any of the stress that the quote vanilla person um, might feel or the burden they might feel from having to have different types of sex they won't like um, or feeling that they're not meeting their partner's needs. So like, I think that's quite a common one. A lot of people talk about that. Um, also, you know, like um, ace people or asexual mm-hmm. people as well. Like mm-hmm. that's something that could be quite familiar to to those people um, or anyone who of that orientation that listens to us. Um, another one that's quite common is long-distance relationships. So obviously you've got this mutual trust but you're living long distance and a lot of people who like to travel might away from there if you've got a primary partner um, and you might successfully use that to negotiate a monopoly relationship. Um, another one is disabilities and illness. So some couples who have one partner with an illness or disability and that could make sex really difficult or impossible will negotiate an agreement that allows another partner to have sex with people um, outside their marriage or relationship. Mm-hmm. I also think, because that was focused on sex there, which again, fine, like we're not saying that it's not all about sex because if it's all about sex for you, fantastic, power to you. But also I wonder whether there might be some people who are maybe more demisexual or asexual and mainly may, might only experience emotional connections or need emotional connections to get mm-hmm. sexual. And this might look like for them being able to have deep emotional and close relationships with other people that may or may not involve sex. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, and for us, that was part of our negotiation too. It was like we have relationships with people that emotional connection is part of our other relationships. Yeah. So. But it also uh, comes down to this idea that we've discussed numerous times on this podcast, which is the needs filling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean necessarily in the unhealthy way that we've discussed, discussed it. We discussed it with uh, Sarah Youngblood Gregory. We yep. discussed it in the kind of slightly more un- unhealthy aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the reciprocal kind of respectful needs filling, you know, the, uh, not expecting everything from one partner yep. thing. Totally. Uh, that I think that, you know, and that that's one of the, one of the many reasons why uh, I think polyamory works mm. is because you are spreading out that kind of those things that you need fulfilling amongst many people, fulfilling totally. and filling um, <laughs> uh, amongst many pa- people, m- many partners. And I mm-hmm. think that's a healthier way of doing things. That's, that's my sort of personal philosophy. I like non-monogamy kind of touching on what Elizabeth Sheff says there in that passage is that I don't feel like I then have to feel all your needs and like I don't feel like I have to do that. I feel like the burden and the pressure is off me to ensure that I'm doing all this stuff to make sure that I'm a good partner and that I'm happy for you. Like I care for you deeply. I do what I can to be the best partner that I can and feel the needs that I feel I'm equipped to do mm-hmm. that for. But like, I think I agree. I think it's a great point. Yeah. All right. So speaking about what you were speaking about, Ooh. Elizabeth Chef also goes on and says, this is just kind of like a creative reading of the article by Elizabeth Chef. It is no, a little bit, it's but not, it's good. but um, it's actually quite a long <laughs> article and I have cut down a lot of this stuff. So, so I still go and read it. So I'm still going to read it though. So she says as well about situations where it doesn't work, which is kind of what, you were mentioning. So I I think this is important for us to include because, you know, 
if you're monogamous and your partner's using polyamory as an excuse to sleep with other people and it's not ethical, like this isn't a great, like this mixed orientation relationship might actually just not be very healthy or ethical, um, as Elizabeth says. So one thing that she says where it doesn't work is starting out with a lie. For example, having already cheated on an existing monogamous partner or non-monogamous partner and violating a an agreement that you've both come to. Uh, for example, honey, I've been cheating and now I think we should be openly non-monogamous. Usually this sort of thing doesn't work because honey is already feeling betrayed by uh, cheating and lying. So starting out with a lie undermines the trust that is fundamental to the trust and the functional polyamorous relationship that Elizabeth was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Like can't start on a lie because you need this strong trust to make it work. And similar to uh, another thing that she mentions that in a situation where it doesn't work is consent negotiated under duress. So essentially kind of what you were saying about, oh, you have agreed to be not monogamous because that's what you said. And, you know, you then like you've been kind of pressured into agreeing to monogamy. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's not truly consensual. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that just all monogamous relationships? Okay, well, <laughs> uh, you know. But that's um, uh, under the duress uh, enforced by society, not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is kind of a joke that you're making, but yes, also I am do... making a joke, yeah. but there is a, there's, there's an element of truth to it. That's far more complex than a joke. Totally. Um, totally. So yeah. d- just take that with a pinch of salt. Everybody don't come at me. Um, again. but um, <laughs> I feel like I'm on the defense mode <laughs> this episode. But uh, no, so anyway. Elizabeth says, if the monogamous person has agreed to polyamory under duress, then a disaster will most likely eventually ensue. Duress can take a range of forms, financial, emotional, physical, implicit, explicit, or even unconscious. So someone's been pressured into monogamy or polyamory. Either way, well, um, I feel like what we're talking that's about... not going to work. <laughs> well, I feel like what we're talking about here is just a, a, a domestically abusive relationship yeah, now yeah, yeah. we're not even talking about a uh yeah it's a, it goes into the uh, it's very much actually in the abuse category so yeah. yeah well okay so how can we navigate these things how can we navigate flexible um dynamics and how can we um yeah yeah i'm interested in that talk, talk to me okay <laughs> <laughs> um well, well I, mean, I mean we've already alluded to one major one which is communication yeah right? And I mean, we can only speak about what we do and what we find works anecdotally for us and also draw on some of the knowledge that we've been lucky enough to have shared with us from some of our guests. Start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as you said, communication is a really good one. Regular check-ins like multi-amory's radar uh, system is really helpful. Um, Also checking in with your personal objectives. Why am I dating? What do I want out of this? And you know, you said earlier in this discussion, Rich, that bringing it back to the individual and, and there is an element of that. There's a multiple, there's individuals in relationships, right? So I find personally for me, what are my objectives? Well, we've, we've actually said this before, mm. that the um, non-monogamy is as much about, in fact, it's more, even more about the individual than it is about any pairing or couple or thruple or, or any kind of partnership in my opinion, mm. it's it's it. The journey that you go on is a very individual one. It, yeah. it starts with the individual. The individual is present throughout. 
hopefully and then it and it ends with the with the individual like it, it doesn't it's not a, it's not even about necessarily the uh individuals together do you know what i mean um so the partners <laughs> yeah 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 it's not even about the partners it's it's all about the individual so yeah um and then also something that i find really helpful which i've never actually felt but is something that i keep in mind constantly is not really feeling tempted to revenge date you know just not feeling like well because rich is dating i need to date hmm. we can also assess if we're uh, polysaturated if we even have the time and energy to be a good partner to someone new because if we're not then that's not really fair on ourselves or the other person uh, or anyone that we're in a relationship with right yeah yeah. I think so. And I think this is, that's again, something that I've assessed a lot and something that you assess as well. You know, you've been dating a lot this year and it's, you know, uh, you know, how, how much can you give to people or are you setting yourself up and communicating the types of dynamics that you're looking for so that you're being ethical and fair to people? Yeah. And I think you've done a pretty good job of that, but it's always Thanks. something that you've got to keep in mind. Thanks. Um, and... <laughs> in fact, can I actually just... I just want to say, you actually wrote a fantastic article. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, in Residence Eleven, mm. did you not? I did, uh, and it is actually a bit about kind of what we talked about. So I'll link that in our yeah. bio if you not our bio in the show notes if you fancy um, checking it out because it's not a new one, by the way. Like, if oh you, no, if I you... wrote it like a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just re- very relevant to what yeah. we're talking about. So. But um, you know. Do you think we did it? Yes. Are we really stealing that from from our friends at Gay? <laughs> I love it, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind. But do they saying. say that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do we do it? Yeah. Okay. But we did do it. You're okay. Absolutely Maybe right. just just this once we'll steal it from them. We'll, and then steal we'll have it from to them come up our own, with our own thing. Did we complete it? No, that's rubbish. We'll think of something. We'll better. think of something better. Maybe we'll ask you guys. Yeah, when we can't think of good stuff, we just ask you people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we are going to do something that, that we have done it recently. I always lose track of which who, which wh- game we've played. Which game we've played recently. 100%, but uh, yeah. but uh, we, we're going to do a poly pop culture slash poppy amory, everybody. Exciting time. And um, to stick with our, or to be on brand, we're going to do something slightly outdated. Um, but something that we watched recently, so it's new to oh, us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only, to be fair, this is probably the the, the least outdated one <laughs> that we've done. Like, um, oh, God, we should talk about this. And Ted, everyone is like, that was five years ago, darling. Like, yeah. Well, Ted Lasso uh, is only about five months ago. Oh, so yeah. we're, get, we're catching up. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, season three ended. Um, it was pretty damn good. I liked it. Such a good show. Yeah, Loved great it. show. Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. <laughs> uh, so, Roy, Keely, and Jamie. You said Keely wrong. Keely. Keely. I love you, Keely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Roy, if you haven't, I mean, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, do it's brilliant. But basically, um, at the beginning of the show, Jamie and Keely. Jamie's one of the football players. Keely is a model who ends up actually doing really well for herself, creates a PR firm and uh, whatever. doesn't really matter. I'm not going to give you all of the details. But Jamie and Keely are in a relationship. They break up because G- 
Jamie is way too immature. Yeah. Um, and eventually ends up hooking up with Roy, who is the captain of the football team. So, and and eventually a coach of the football team. So, and also Jamie's sort of rival on the team. Yes, they, they don't hate get on each very other. Well. Exactly, yeah. they hate each other. Um, and so Keely and Roy end up um, starting a relationship, which also ends at some point, but much more amicably. Um, although I feel like a lot of things left unsaid. So the end at the end of season three. Keely is basically offered the choice of the of either one of them. And they've actually become friends by this point. The two boys have kind of reconciled. Yes, exactly. Their relationship has gone on a journey and they're like best mates now. Mm. It's actually really wholesome and I love it. Firstly, I just want to say she does in fact choose neither of them, which I which like. I'm into, massively into. I like that because... Oh my god! Like, how boring would it have been if she just picked one of them? Like, I mean, I would have loved to have choose Jamie because I think he's foxy. But Phil, Phil, uh, uh, Dunst, Dunstan. Phil, if you're listening, um, but if also, you're listening, I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. <laughs> um, but also, like, I think if she'd gone back with the guy that she was dating at the beginning of the show, like, it's not a very good, char- like, you know, character arc. You know, you yeah. want to sort of see. But I think, yeah, I love that she didn't pick any of them, but. This whole idea of they kind of, it's actually quite funny. They show up at her front door and they're like, which one of us do you want to be with? Fully expecting her to actually choose one. And then she just basically laughs like because they got into a fight at a bar and she like laughs at them and kicks them out and that's it. And she just rolls her eyes and says, oh my God, this boy's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even though they're like best friends now, they do. They're mates, they end up with this. Yeah, yeah. so they like want to resolve it. They yeah. turn up at her door. She's like, yeah. you're ridiculous. You need to leave. But the question I want to ask is, would would the three characters starting a polycule together have made sense? Would it have? Because I, I mean, there were moments in season three where I was very much like, I could see this. And I want to see this. So, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> okay, so I think that it not I don't think a polycule situation from my perspective would have worked. I think it would have worked if Keely was the hinge mm. and she was dating both of them, but they weren't dating each other. But I feel like they have a romantic friendship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that they're not mates and they don't hang out, but mm. I feel like... Oh, but I feel like there's a little bit... There like, could be a little bit more, not necessarily physical, but emotional. No. I think like they're like they'd be metamors and like quite close metamors and like mm. would get on with each other and and do things together outside of Keely, and but I also think that she would be the one that would be romantically involved with both of them at the same time. I think that's what would make the most sense to me. But like they're not like sexually involved, but they've got like a really close friendship. That's what I feel like I would have liked to see happen. Not even you don't even think that. And this is just a gen. This is a genuine, um, a genuine line of inquiry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very police speak. <laughs> so random. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying it that way. You don't think that there's room for them both to be involved with her at the same time sexually without them necessarily doing anything together? Oh yeah, totally. Okay, cool. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but I don't think that I don't think for their characters mm. that it would have made that much sense. Like they both both characters went on so much growth 
in a journey. I think the show left it really well. I don't think I think that the fact that they were friends was a really nice way oh, yeah. for it to end. Don't like, get me wrong, I loved that. Yeah, that was great. So like their, their friendship became when it actually became like super wholesome, given how just how sort of aggressive their yeah. their beef with each other was at the and beginning. To be honest, like I don't have any beef with how they actually ended it. I think there was absolutely an opportunity for them to include that and her date both oh, yeah, of them. Yeah. But just, I will say to... that I really appreciate the evolution of their relationship. That like they're all three of them are mates. They're hanging out. She's friends with those two ex boyfriends that were once rivals that are now mates. And she can and I just love that like it just shows us again the nuance of relationships that you can that there is an opportunity to grow and that just because you break up with someone doesn't mean you the relationship can't continue to evolve. Mm. And they both admitted to having interest in her, but I feel like towards the end of the show, they were mates, they're mates with Keely and that was how it was. And I also just really liked that their relationship could continue in a different way and just because there was a, a discontinuation of an emotional, I mean, sorry, of a sexual connection doesn't mean that there isn't a slight romantic connection there, mm-hmm. but that's, that is how it is. And like, that's the phase that we leave them in. And I think that's quite cool too. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, refreshing ending trio went on to become comfortable spending time together. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of unclear what Keely's feelings were f- toward either of them in the end, but I guess, there's a somewhat open ending there. There's room for further exploration if they ever did a spin-off or another series, which I know they have discussed doing, but probably won't. To be honest, I hope they don't. I quite like having a nice three seasons of a fantastic show and leave it at that. Like, why do we need to overcook the egg? Is that a thing? Overcook the egg? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Just a special (laughs) mention. There is a awesome character in the name, by the name of Danny Rojas, who at the end, has two girlfriends. Yep, at, at the, the wedding. End, at the wedding. and Which I was quite happy to yeah, I see. Mean, it, 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 yes and no. Like, on the one hand, cool, representation, like, albeit very fleeting. But I did feel like it was, it was intended to be a little bit of a joke. <laughs> Which, you know, given his character, like, it's a mm. character-based joke. It's not necessarily a joke about... That this that's it's aimed, not about non-monogamy. It's not aimed yeah. at non-monogamists or polyamorous people. It's just aimed at the fact that oh yeah, of co- like of course he would he would be non-monogamous. Of course he would because it's it's just in his character to be that way. And the fact that it kind of just is thrown in there at the end, that's kind of the joke. It's not actually kind of mocking. My only concern with that is that I looked at that and I was like, oh, non-monogamy. Like, cool. But my concern is that most people wouldn't look at that and think, cool, non-monogamy. They're looking at it and thinking, what a player. Look at him. He's got these two chicks hanging off his arm. Like, like, that's my concern is that people aren't necessarily going to look at that and think what we thought. They're going to think... Oh, yeah. he's just being a player. Look at him, like, you know, getting down and dirty with two chicks through some... Uh, like, that's how I can imagine people would respond to that. Lads, 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 lads. lads yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's my only concern. But that's it, right? Like, the lens that you look at things through vastly changes mm. the the overall perception. Percent. Anyway. So that's 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 that. Did we, did we do that? Yeah, so we, we did. We did that. Cool. Um, also, we have four minutes till Bake Off starts, so I want to go. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go and watch Bake Off. Okay, everyone, please subscribe, rate, <laughs> and review. 
Um, send us some reviews. Send us some five-star ratings. Share this with um, anyone you think it is interesting. Thank you to everyone who wrote in and suggested this episode topic. Indeed. Thank you. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We are at poly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Slash X. What's happening? No, it's not. Twitter. We're on Twitter. We're also on threads. You can find us at our <laughs> website, the-poly-podcast.captivate.fm and you can email us at podcastthepoly at gmail.com. Okay, let's go watch Bake Off. Thanks, Love you everyone. All. Bye. Bye.